our data guy, Jarek, is very kind. Uh, I did a little bit of a data deep dive for us here to lead off the day, uh, sent us in a segment. Matt, is that ready to be kicked off? It's all ready, baby. Just let all me know. All right. Me. Then let's bring that up, and we are going over to Jarek Backus. When you just don't understand the numbers, it's time to dive into the classroom with a beautiful mind, Jarek Backus, and By the Numbers. Welcome to By the Numbers, where I'll be taking an analytical approach to answering one question each week. This week's question is, who has the best shot at Day 2 Capital this year? Evan Hull, Chase Brown, or Ramon Davis? Let's compare these players to the average second and third round drafted players. The average player was a four-star prospect drafted between his third and fourth year out of high school. He is 5'11 and a half and weighs 217 pounds. Looking at our players today, Chase Brown was a three-star recruit and has the most experience of the group going into his fifth year out of high school for the Fighting Illini. He's 5'11", 205 pounds going into this year. Evan Hall was also a three-star recruit and is going into his fourth year out of high school for Northwestern. He stands at 5'11 and 210 pounds. Remon Davis was also a three-star recruit going into his fourth year out of high school with Vanderbilt. He's 5'9 and 210 pounds. More of the bowling ball build versus the other two. Last year was his first year with Vanderbilt after transferring from Temple, but injuries the last two years have derailed his seasons. The first statistic I like to look at is the rush yards over expected to determine how good of a rusher they've been. This accounts for down, distance, game situation, and opponent strength, and determines the difference between how many rush yards are expected versus how many were actually gained. Evan Hall and Chase Brown are leading this category at .74 and .57 rush yards over expected per attempt, respectively. Ramon Davis isn't a slouch, though. He's still positive at .28 rush yards over expected per attempt, which is still successful. The average for day two RBs is .11. Next is explosive rush rate. Explosive rushes are rushes with a rush yard over expected greater than 10. It was found by Tej at TejFB Analytics on Twitter to be one of the most predictive metrics that carries from college to the NFL. This shows how good players are at getting those big runs. Both Hall and Brown are over the average for day two RBs. They both set at 8%, with the average being 7.11%. Davis is lagging behind here at 5%. Next, I look at receiving. Hull and Brown again lead the way here. They sit at 11.4% and 12.4% target shares per PFF, respectively, for their best seasons so far, whereas Davis is again behind at 5.8%. I want to see at least 10% for a decent pass-catching pack. The last piece is looking at how they'll perform this season. We know draft capital for RBs matters more on how a player performed in their best season rather than their full college career. For this, I'll lean on our CFF experts, Chris Moxley, Jared Palmgren, and Nate Marchies. Per our CFF rankings for this season, Chase Brown is the RB15, Evan Hall is at RB68, and Ramon Davis is at 92. We have a clear winner here. With all the statistical data, along with how these players are expected to perform this year, I expect Chase Brown to have the best chance at Day 2 Capital, followed by Evan Hall and then Ramon Davis. Yep, that's the sound of Matt Bruning disowning me. Sorry, Matt. All right, guys. Uh, Barnabas Lee, uh, our, our head honcho draft guy here at Campus to Canton, uh, is doing a weekly segment, uh, written segment for us here, just uh, highlighting maybe some key one-on-one matchups across college football, whether that's 
edge offensive tackle, whether that's corner wide receiver uh, and so on and so forth. And he has been kind enough to give us a short segment here this morning. Um, minute, minute and a half, quick hitter uh, on some matchups that he's watching here in week zero. Hi, this is Barnabas Lee with the Marquee, where I highlight the best one-on-one matchups in college football each week. Football season is once again upon us. Can I get an amen? Week zero isn't always the most exciting, but we get to kick off the 2022 season with a Big Ten Conference matchup in Nebraska at Northwestern. With it comes a matchup between a blue-chip tackle prospect and an edge that will likely hear his name called in Kansas City come April. Peter Skaronsky is the consensus OT number one right now, albeit in a fairly weak offensive line class. He comes into the season with an already stellar resume, having logged successful outings against Zach Harrison, George Karloftis, and even Aiden Hutchinson. Skaronsky is a smooth operator with a controlled easy kick step and active hands. This helps make up for his T-Rex arms that may force a move to the interior of the line on Sundays. Skaronsky has a real knack for walling off and trapping speed rushers upfield, but has his struggles against power rushers. On the other side of the ball, Edge O'Shawn Mathis is the type of player that old school coaches would want first off the bus. At six foot five, 250, he has an NFL-ready body but suffers from a similar evaluation to Randy Gregory, where his coaches ask him to read release most of the time, leading some to believe that he lacks burst and production. Mathis has plus hand leverage, a usable spin move, and an occasionally successful bull rush. He was adept at maintaining space with blockers in the Big 12, but Big 10 tackles won't usually let him get away with that. He needs to work on his leverage, functional strength, play rec, and awareness to raise his draft stock. I'm predicting Skaronsky to be the lone advantage for Northwestern in this game. This is a defense that held Ohio State to its lowest scoring total last season, and adding Mathis is just the icing on the cake. Even if he is shut down by Skaronsky, the rest of the team is more than capable of winning this game without him. If you want to hear more about matchups like this, make sure to look up the Checking the Fight Card series released every Monday at CampusDecanton.com. All right, guys, we have Corey Pereira, our head Debbie guy, uh, put together a little video just looking at some of the Debbie guys to be on the lookout for this week for anybody that maybe isn't quite as deep down the rabbit hole as some of us are. Uh, so toss it over to Corey Pereira uh, with today's Debbie sesh. What is going on, everybody? Corey Pereira here from the Campus of Canton Debbie team, and the moment we've finally been waiting for is here. It's week zero, and that means Debbie and C2C season is here. Now, there isn't a huge slate of games this weekend. Uh, most of them are going to come from the G5, but I did just want to highlight a few players that I'm going to be watching this weekend. Um, starting over at North Carolina and their newly appointed quarterback one in Drake May. Uh, he's going to have his first start in a nice cushy matchup against Florida A&M. Um, he's going to have the opportunity to really settle in nicely, kind of gain confidence going into the season. Uh, he's a prospect a lot of us have been excited to see. Um, now that he's been tapped as a starter, really going to be able to see how he can function in this offense. Um, I'm also going to be watching out to see how these freshmen play, especially at running back with uh, with Bridge Brooks now getting injured. Uh, Omarion Hampton and George Petaway have gotten some good buzz this spring. If everything breaks right, it's possible we could be looking at the new new Javante Williams and Michael Carter of this backfield. Possible, I don't know, maybe some lofty aspirations there, but, but maybe in their wheelhouse. Um, Another Power 5 team that's going to play this weekend is Florida State. Um, now, there's not a ton here that I'm watching, but I did want to mention someone I'm cre- keeping some eyes on in running back Trey Benson. Uh, now, Trayshawn Ward is listed as a starter there. He's a smaller back at like 5'10", sub 200 pounds. Um, Benson, 6'1", 215 pounds, has that great size, has received a ton of buzz this offseason. He's a former Oregon commit, um, redshirted as a freshman in 2020, uh, only has six carries last year. So he's a guy we haven't seen a lot of, um, but the buzz was loud enough that maybe it was, it's worth keeping an eye on someone to maybe throw on your watch list. 
Um, the biggest game of this weekend is probably going to be our only Power 5 matchup in Northwestern versus Nebraska. Um, now, starting with Northwestern, I'm really interested to see how these running backs shake out. Um, Cam Porter was a really interesting guy as a freshman, uh, ran for over 300 yards over the last three games of his freshman season, looked like he was going to be the starter going into this year, but an injury stole his whole year, which allowed another running back over there by the name of Evan Hall, I think he's going to be a senior this year, um, to have a pretty decent season, you know, something like 1,200 all-purpose yards. So now that Porter... Uh, has returned to health. I'm kind of interested to see how much how this backfield is going to shake out and how healthy he is and if he's going to claim a big stake of this backfield. Um, on the Nebraska side, uh, I'm looking at the wide receiver room and I'm looking at a former LSU transfer in Trey Palmer. Um, high-end recruit who's kind of buried on LSU's depth chart. Um, very fast. Play speed kind of jumps off the screen. You know, he's been making a lot of waves since transferring to Nebraska. Um, they also bring in former Texas quarterback Casey Thompson, who probably isn't a Debbie asset, but is a more than serviceable college quarterback. This was a guy who was a part of Xavier Worthy's breakout last year. So um, I'm excited to see what these two guys can do in this offense. Um, I did just want to give a shout out to a couple lower end guys here. Um, Illinois is going to play this weekend. The running back Chase Brown, who recently made the freak list, um, very run heavy scheme over there. He could be one of those sneaky climbers who kind of pops in the third or fourth round if we're lucky in the draft. Um, also, if you have your waivers open here, see, you see, I poke around and maybe look for the backup running back there by the name of Josh McCray. Um, he's a bigger back, about 235 pounds, six foot, I believe, who looked pretty good at times last year, moved really well for his size. Could be an interesting stash for when Brown moves on next year. I think he's only a sophomore this year, so a uh, nice young piece to maybe put on your team and stash. Um, uh, last but not least, um, I did just want to give a shout out to a guy uh, running back that I've been following closely. Uh, Matt Bruning has also been following pretty closely, and Ramon Davis. And I'm kind of interested to see if he can just, you know, kickstart his comeback campaign this year um, after a great freshman season at Temple. Unfortunately, he's lost the last two years to injury. So he's got a nice cushy matchup here against Hawaii. So let's see if he can get a season off on the right foot. But um, those are really the guys I'm kind of keeping tabs on. But mostly, guys, I'm really just excited to watch some football and enjoy all these games today. So I hope you guys are ready for some football. It is College Fantasy Tonight, recapping everything from week zero, everything that you need to know for your campus to Canton Leagues. Hey, if you like what we're doing, if you like this content, if you like the fact that we're expanding this format, or at least attempting to, then drop this video a like. I want to get this video to 25 likes, those staying up with us after 12 p.m. Eastern time. That's how dedicated we are. All right, we start every episode of College Fantasy Tonight with the rundown, and that is how we're going to start this week with the rundown, week zero. Let's get it started. We're going to start with Austin P at Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky at one point was a 30-point favorite. Uh, uh, that's what the line was early on this week. They win just by 11. Now, how would the Hilltoppers replace Bailey Zappi, record-setting, Jareth Stearns, that dynamic duo, well, they're going to do so with Austin Reed and Malachi Corley and company and some help. Austin Reed, uh, uh, 280 passing yards, four touchdowns, one interception, 25.8 uh, fantasy points. Now, Reed is a little disappointing. That 280 yards passing would have been the worst performance of a Western Kentucky starting quarterback in 2021. Uh, Bailey Zappi regularly throwing for 450, 500 yards. And so uh, Reed offers a little more of a dual threat play, but it did not let him really throw the ball down. Let's see how that 
shakes out. Malachi Corley, if you drafted him, you got to like his performance, what he looked like in week zero. You're probably going to start him next week against Hawaii. Five catches, 61 yards, three touchdowns, but we knew about him. The other question was, who would be the second guy? Would it be Darren Hall or Jalen Hall, or would it be Daywood Davis? Well, Daywood Davis, 124 yards receiving, one touchdown. I think that we're starting these three next week. Are you, it's we got to watch with Reed. They didn't really let him throw the ball downfield. So um, is he going to be a quarterback one? Maybe. Maybe he was just getting his feet under him in his first uh, game in that system. But the wide receivers, Corley, Daywood Davis, were probably starting both of those guys next week. All right, let's get here to Nebraska and Northwestern. Uh, Barnabas Lee is our draft countdown analyst. Uh, Barnabas, almost 1,000 yards of total offense between these two teams. Nebraska takes the upset, so Scott Fish may be on the hot seat, but fantasy-wise, I think we may be sleeping on a certain junior Wildcat running back. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I get the privilege of talking about the only conference game today, so that's fun. Um, but yeah, so maybe we're sleeping on one of the junior running backs, but both of the running backs for uh, Northwestern are actually junior, so that's interesting to catch up on. But, you know, it was a back-and-forth uh, back and forth game, which is why a lot of these stats are a little bit inflated. So, you know, starting off with the quarterbacks, we had Casey Thompson throw for uh, 355 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, and, you know, he showed out at the beginning of the game where uh, Nebraska struck really early, it took them less, just over two minutes to score their first touchdown. And that was actually the only touchdown that Casey Thompson threw all game and instead threw two picks uh, through the rest. Um, he probably needs to work a little bit on his touch because a lot of times he was throwing the ball in the right place, but wide receivers just couldn't catch the ball. Part of it was the injury to uh, Vokalik. Part of it was just like he was putting a little too much heat uh, on those uh, short crossers. Uh, Ryan Holinsky on the other side, uh, through for 313 yards, uh, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, I don't think any of us really predicted that Holinsky could look like this. No. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was looking phenomenal, great placement. Uh, and if he can keep this up, you know, maybe Northwestern can actually make some noise this year. Um, I will say that the receivers really struggled with drops in the second half, but it really didn't matter because of this running game that was just, you know, pounding through. Uh, so, you know, the the junior running back that you were referring to was Evan Hull, who really came onto the scene last year. Uh, he ended the day today with 22 carries, 119 yards and a touchdown, uh, along with five receptions for 54 yards. He was the second leading receiver for Northwestern. Um, a workhorse and- all around. I mean, the five receptions, 50 yards. That's a very impressive first game for Evan Hall. I had to check where I had him in my ranking. Absolutely, yeah. Evan Hull was used in a variety of ways on the screen game, in the leak-out game, as well as just pounding that ball straight up the middle. Uh, Nebraska just couldn't stop them towards the end of the game, and they were just uh, pulling off eight-yard runs play after play. Um, But don't forget about Cam Porter, who was actually the starter when Evan Hull and Cam Porter came in, um, were in the backfield together two years ago before being injured last year. Um, But Cam Porter also had a great day today, 19 carries, 94 yards and a touchdown. Um, He also had a fumble off of uh, his one reception, Um, but, you know, still a great game overall. And uh, he was, you know, dashing, cutting just as well as Evan Hull, honestly. And you can expect to see both of them get major usage throughout the year. For sure. You're talking about 200-yard rushers and a 300-yard passer. This isn't Western Kentucky. This is Northwestern here that we're talking about. 
yeah, I don't think any of us predicted that this offense could support this many fantasy players. So uh, really, really interesting game. Um, on the other side of the ball, uh, we have uh, Anthony Grant, who uh, was the Juco player of the year, as the commentators wouldn't let us forget. Um, he was the workhorse for Nebraska. And, you know, they were they were catching up towards the end of the game. So they stopped running the ball. But no one other than Anthony Grant had more than three carries. Uh, he had. Anthony Grant took 19 carries for 101 yards and two touchdowns. He looked big. He looked he looked decisive, and he was making his one cut and moving upfield. So uh, you can expect maybe a little uh, maybe a little bit of fantasy relevant production um, going moving forward. Maybe a flex play in weeks where they don't have you know a, a difficult matchup. Absolutely. Uh, and I guess I forgot to mention that uh, Casey Thompson also added a rushing touchdown as well. Um, anyway, uh, so in terms of who was on the receiving end of these uh, gaudy passing numbers from these quarterbacks on the Nebraska side, Trey Palmer showed out with uh, eight receptions and 68 yards. He was definitely um, getting some involvement early and often. Uh, and Thompson was looking for him as often as he could. Uh, the one touchdown pass that Casey Thompson threw, however, was to Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, who had four receptions for 120 yards as well. He also had a fumble, uh, a lot of fumbles going on in this game, but, you know, as is to be expected about from a physical Big Ten game. Um, meanwhile, uh, Holinsky's uh, leading receiver was Malik Washington, who had eight, eight receptions for 97 yards. Uh, like I said, the receiving core as, it, as a whole, including Washington, struggled with drops in the second half. But like I said, it didn't really matter. Um, the biggest conclusion from this game is that this offensive line played out of their minds. We did not expect anyone other than Peter Skaronsky, uh, who I'll talk about a little bit later as well, um, to play this well. And they really overpowered the smaller linebackers for Nebraska. And uh, Nebraska came in with some uh, highly touted edge players. And those edge players were basically deemed irrelevant to this game thanks to the offensive line play. Yeah, we're going to get back with you later on when we talk about the NFL draft and look at the 2023 NFL draft. But Barnabas, thank you for your coverage of Nebraska Northwestern. Let's bring in co-founder, campus again, co-founder Matthew Bruning, who covered Wyoming at Illinois now. We wanted to pay attention to this game because of what Illinois can do in the backfield, Matthew. Brett Bielema, of course, coming from Barry Alvarez, coming from Wisconsin. So they're going to have a good running game. But Josh McCray goes down in this game. And if Josh McCray is going to be out for an extended period of time, Matthew, then Chase Brown could be a no-brainer RB1 in that particular system. Had a good game today. Absolutely. He was dominant, I would say, in this game, not just in the rushing game, but he also had a couple receptions. I mean, they they beat Wyoming pretty easily, 38 to six. We talked a lot about it this morning on the tailgate. Wyoming is, however, one of the worst teams in all of college football. So take that what you can from it. It was really about the running back. So in this game, Titus Swen, who is someone that we loved for the CFF side of things. 17 carries for 98 yards, did not have a touchdown in this one, just nine points. I will say he did get involved late, though, in this game, even when Illinois was kind of up on them. Wyoming was out of it. They still kind of kept feeding him the ball, so that is good to see from a fantasy perspective. We'll go to Josh McCray next, as you mentioned, he did have an injury. It was fairly early, I believe, in the second quarter. Looked like he got tackled. From behind, they landed weird on his leg. Brett Bielema did come out just a couple hours ago and said he can't speak on the Josh McCray injury. 
uh, because they haven't got all the testing back yet, but he does not believe it's anything catastrophic. So he ends with just 33 yards on eight carries, uh, two catches for seven yards. But great to hear that it's likely nothing catastrophic with the injury, and he will likely be back next week. If he does miss some time, though, I expect Chase Brown to reproduce what he just did here against Wyoming. I mean, 151 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Added three receptions, a really nice receiving touchdown in that one as well. Showed off a little bit of hands, which I criticized him for this morning. The one thing I will say on Chase Brown to watch out for, and we, we did talked a lot about this on the tailgate, was if you really look into what Chase Brown has done on the ground, he, I would not be surprised if he only has like 50 rushing yards next week. He's very inconsistent when it comes to producing this well. He has a couple games where he does 40, 60 yards rushing and then hits these 150, 200-yard rushing games for a game or two and then goes back down. But it was a great performance by him. Saw a lot of the NFL draft people propping him up. It, it's If he can, can continue to do this all year, he's going to be talked about as possibly a Pulling a Colin Decker here, a day two draft capital guy. I mean, if he continues to produce like that. Well, they're definitely, I mean, he's definitely going to have the opportunity now. I mean, this is a team that wants to run the ball downhill, north-south. He's that type of rusher. They're not going to have Josh McCray there. And I think Reggie Love is the third string back. That offense, at least for the next couple of weeks, is probably going to revolve around Chase Brown. And so um, he's going to have the opportunity to improve his draft stock. All right, we'll come back to you, Matthew. I noted earlier in the show when we were talking about Nebraska that I called the head coach of Nebraska, Scott Fish. Scott Fish is not the head coach at Nebraska. It would be one Scott Frost. Um, all right, uh, Austin Nace, let's bring you in here to discuss UConn, Utah State. Now, the reason why we wanted to pay attention to this game it's because of the success that Devin Tompkins had last year. And so who are the wide receiver who is the wide receiver or wide receivers that we should pay attention to in this offense? Yeah, as a true degenerate, um, I watched almost all the games today, but this was one of the ones that was most interesting to me for the reasons you stated there. I mean, we needed to see what this offense at Utah State was going to look like. And I think we got a decent idea today. You know, Logan Bonner starting at quarterback. There were some rumors that maybe he wouldn't play or wouldn't play much today with an injury that he suffered. Um, this offseason, but uh, he, he looked rusty early. He did. You could tell that he did really didn't practice too much this offseason. Uh, but 20 for 29 on the end, by the end of the day, 281 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, um, and, and really kind of came back from that early start. I was thinking that maybe uh, this offense would struggle a little bit after that first quarter when they got down 14 nothing. Who was he throwing it to? I think that was the million-dollar question on the day. Uh, and I think it was almost the guys we kind of expected. You know, Brian Cobbs uh, was one of the favorites to kind of take over this room. He transferred over from Maryland after several years there. Uh, and he played the part. Eight catches, 108 yards, and a touchdown. Went there early and often looking at him. Double-digit targets. I think that'll continue. That slot role at Utah State is very valuable. And that's where he lines up a lot of the time. The other guy in the slot with, you know, a lot of these four wide receiver sets, Kyle Van Leeuwen. Uh, Colin Decker, shout out to... Uh, you're muted, so I'm gonna. I know what you said, though. Um, yes, a guy that no one was really talking about. Colin hyped him up on the morning show today. Um, three catches, 54 yards, had a nice touchdown. Had another nice catch down the sideline, broke a couple tackles. Uh, I got some decent yardage. Wasn't a high volume guy, so that'll be something to watch. You know, he he, he had a decent stat line today. That might not be consistent moving forward. Justin McGriff, the other guy, six six, really tall wide receiver. Three catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown on the day. Uh, and he was the red zone target. You know, his touchdown came off a, uh, a red zone fade. Uh, they looked for him at least one other time in a similar situation. So he might be a guy that's a little more touchdown dependent. 
Cobbs might be the guy that's a little more steady from week to week, at least based on what we saw this week. Of course, neither of them are going to do anything next week because they're at Bama. Uh, last guy on the team here to talk about, Calvin Tyler was interesting. Not an offense that we think is going to run the ball a ton this year, uh, but they did get up and they were able to milk some clock. And Tyler was the beneficiary here from a statistical standpoint. 33 carries, 161 yards, no scores though. Um, like I said, kind of unlikely he gets that that volume every day. So uh, if he's on your waivers, I'm not rushing to get him, but I would watch list him and see, you know, what happens here. Maybe he ends up being an intriguing guy down the line. Not a guy we're going to prioritize this week anyway, because next week they take on Alabama. We're not going to start probably any no. of these players against against no, Alabama. No, no. Austin, is there anybody that we should care about for uh, UConn, uh, a player uh, in Zion Turner? who Brandon Sanders highlighted a, f- a few months ago on the Future Freshman podcast. Yeah, Brandon does a great job. He does his big, fi- or, uh, uh, yeah, big Fish Little Pond. Uh, talented guys that are maybe going to smaller schools, and Zion Turner was a guy that he highlighted there. Came in early. Uh, Taquan Roberson was supposed to be the starter, got injured a couple uh, snaps into the game, really, and Turner was thrown into the fire here as a true freshman. Um, statistically, not a great day. Not a great day. Uh, 13 for 32, 110 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, was kind of all over the place passing it. But honestly, like a true freshman going into an environment like that against a decent Utah State team, I thought he performed decently. You know, definitely something to build off of. Uh, didn't run around as much as I expected him to, so that'll be something to monitor. Might just not be comfortable kind of making that decision still at this stage. Um, but, but a you know, a performance that I think he can build on nonetheless moving forward. Only other guy on that offense that I thought was interesting today was Nathan Carter, their running back, who looked pretty dynamic at times. 19 carries, 188 yards, uh, no touchdowns there, and did have a catch as well. Um, slightly undersized, but but he, he broke off a couple really nice runs. So I'm, again, another guy that I'm not picking up, like this UConn offense, I don't think is going to be particularly good on a week-to-week basis, but I'm definitely watch-listing him. And if he puts up another week or two like this, uh, then he's a guy that maybe I'm going for for some bench depth. Jim Moore and company at least keeping it interesting. And that's, you know, more than what you can hope for for UConn. All right, Austin. 14 we'll nothing. When was the last time UConn led a game 14 nothing in football? There you I go. can't remember the last time. There you go. There you go. All right, Austin, appreciate it. We'll come back to you here in a second. Um, Brandon Sanders, you are our UNC correspondent. A lot of interesting things with this North Carolina team. I mean, talk about the game here. There was a, the threat that this game wouldn't even be played. But you've got a, a new quarterback. You've got new at, uh, players in the backfield. This is a young team, at least fantasy-wise. And so it was interesting to see um, how they would rebuild after three-year starter Sam Howell departs for the NFL. And very uh, uh, the Rattlers, Florida A&M, looked good. Looked like they were hanging on early on before UNC pulled away late. Yeah, uh, so this game was uh, actually, you know, Lots of nerves, lots of jitters going in, but one strike man, I think, busted off that first run. Uh, I think kind of settled in, realized he's playing football, and, and he was off to the races as well. I want to give a shout-out to Florida A&M's quarterback. I think he's very talented, uh, I think, at the SCF's level, and I think he put up some great numbers. He's a guy to look at for you know depth or possibly in, in another league, like XFL, you know, stuff like that. But uh, had, had some very impressive throws in this game under duress. 
Yes, and uh, was really good about uh, accuracy and things like that. So I was highly impressed. Uh, but shout out to my boy Drake May. I call him all day Drake May for a reason. Uh, you got it there on the board. Uh, 29 uh, completions out of 37 attempts. 294 yards. Almost broke the 300. That his dad set there a uh, long time ago. But five touchdowns, so he did beat out his father there. He also had four carries for 55 yards. So, of course, you guys saw that one as well. It did with the 50-burger. 50.20. Uh, fantasy points which is fantastic are you going to see that all the time no this is an fcs opponent but you can expect some good things out of drake may you can definitely see that he's making great decisions he's taking his time he's actually making the right throws this is why he got the nod over chriswell which is chriswell is an excellent quarterback so it was a tough tough battle but we saw drake may about three-fourths of this which i thought was probably going to happen uh, but we i thought we we're going to see a little bit more chriswell but they kept the freshman in they kept uh, the other, you know, we'll talk about the running backs in just a second, but uh, they kept them in longer, got their reps, and now they're ready for App State. So as long as everyone's healthy, uh, all wheels are up for next week. So uh, pretty exciting game. Let's talk about those running backs. You got two uh, highly touted backs in um, George Petaway and Amarian Hampton. George Pettyway was actually present for the spring, looked good in the spring, was said to be uh, uh, getting a role in the offense early on. Marion Hampton wasn't a bigger back, 220-plus pounds of a thumper, and he was the one who was carrying the load early on. Yep, absolutely. So you got to see both of the talented, the one, of course, the Thunder and Lightning is doing its thing. We'll start with George Pettyway, who had four carries, 50, 51 yards. He did have that breakout for the one touchdown. His one reception, unfortunately, was a tackle for a loss, so he lost five uh, five yards there. Otherwise, he'd have a little bit more. Finished with 11.6 fantasy points to move over to Marion Hampton, who, uh, you know, he took over the load with the 14 carries, 101 yards, two touchdowns. So he finished with a whopping 24.65 fantasy points. That is fantastic. You're going to see a lot of this moving forward. Uh, even guys like DJ Jones, Caleb Hood. We saw even Elijah Green there in the garbage time doing his thing. Uh, but, you know, you got to you got to give it to him. You're going to see these freshmen emerging. So you can definitely tell that we have something in the future here, something that you've seen before a couple of years ago with Carter and, and Javante. So this is going to you know be a thing moving forward. So you can expect a lot of play out of probably both freshmen uh, next week against App State. So very excited for the future for the, for the Tar Heels and the running back situation. This show isn't about me and my opinions. I would like to say for the record that I loved me some Amari and Hampton. I loved how I liked the thick backs and I was mocked and ridiculed. I was told that he was too slow, too slow in 100 yards in his first collegiate game, Brandon Sanders. How about that? Uh, Andre Green, another highly touted raw receiver, uh, and uh, we didn't see him today. Right, yeah. Uh, I think because he came so much later in the summertime, I think he came right as the spring game was ending. They wanted to get him on to get there as well. But it looks like he's going to need a little bit more time. You're starting to see uh, J.J. Jones. You're starting to see uh, Gavin uh, Blackwell. Those will probably be the guys there until we see a return of Antoine Green. Once Anton Green returns to the lineup, you'll probably see uh, Blackwell move back to the bench, and you'll see J.J. Jones as the wide receiver three. But don't be surprised if, as the season progresses and Andre Green gets more practice time and gets maybe some live reps and garbage time, that you'll see the emergence of Andre Green Jr. So don't count him out yet, but don't run and pick him up off the waivers if you're doing a redraft. Hopefully in Dynasty or in uh, C2C, you already have him stored and uh, saved away for, for brighter days, basically. But a little bit more time for Andre Green Jr., but Big Uno's, Big Uno's coming around eventually. Just, uh, you know, hold on tight. 
Of course, we're looking for who is going to compliment Josh Downs there at UNC. Antoine Green goes out with an injury. We thought it might be the freshman, but it's J.J. Jones, as you mentioned, and Gavin Blackwell um, uh, playing the most with Josh Downs. Are either of those two players that you think we should consider watch uh, rostering, or are they just watchless players at this point? At this point, I think they're filling a role. I would actually look at the tight ends. Uh, it looks like Longo is now employing the tight end system that he's known for there at Ole Miss, and now he's doing it at Carolina. He's finally got a, looks like a quarterback that he can actually get this done with. Uh, so Nesbitt, of course, with a lot of catches there, I believe. Um, and then, of course, you saw you know even the third tight end. You saw Morales, who's tight end one. So you might see a lot of two tight end sets here going forward. You saw that great pass where they crossed on each other. And then, you know, Nesbitt was able to get him free. So they're going to do a lot of that in Longo's system. So I'd actually look at Nesbitt on waivers. And I'd also, you know, super deep, maybe later on, maybe a Morales. But for right now, I would look at Nesbitt as a pickup for redraft. And I would also put him on, if you haven't have him for Dynasty or for C2C, I would look at Nesbitt to store him as well here pretty soon. All right, Brandon, we appreciate you covering that game in detail for us. We are going to go to headlines. We always uh, we talk about the headlines of the day, at least from a fantasy perspective. And I want to start with Drake May. Um, Austin, Drake May won the job after competing with Jacoby Criswell. I even thought even after being named the starter, that there was a chance that they could switch back and forth, maybe a drive here, a drive there. They didn't do that. It was May. And, you know, he moved around the pocket. He made plays. He looks like we want a starter a highly touted uh, quarterback we all have in the top 20-ish of our rankings. He looked like that type of player. He pulled a John Elway. He tried he, he tried to do the, the jump at the end zone and got he got a little got you know spun around a little bit by the defender. Yeah, he after he had he kind of looked a little shaky early, like not terrible, but didn't look confident. Then he busted like that 40-yard run. Um and uh, like early in the second quarter, I think it was, and that really kind of got him into the game at that point. I think at that point he said, like, I can do this, you know, kind of left that last little breath out of the lungs. And then he looked good. He was accurate. Um, I mean, it, it was, a, a, I think we have to, we have to note very poor defense, not a good team. And they were missing a ton of starters. They had a, a huge eligibility issue that we're not really sure what happened. So I think, you know, looked good, looked like he belonged. This is a good game to kind of get him going, but we also have to remember, not great opposition. Let's see what happens. You know, App State will be a more difficult test. Won't be the most difficult, but I, temper expectations. We'll see what he does next game. Matthew, Brandon, Barnabas, anybody jump in here. If you had Drake May rostered, if you rostered him as a freshman and watched him back up, Sam Howe, how do you feel today after seeing his, fir- his performance, his first-time performance as a starter? I mean, I, I'd feel great. The, the one thing why I agree with Austin that it is it, it was poor opposition. They were out a lot of players. If he went out there and played really bad, we would be having a very sure. serious discussion on yeah. the other side sure. of the spectrum here. Yeah. So he went out and he did what we thought he was going to do. And while I do agree that the defense was bad, there was a couple throws, including I believe it was the touchdown to Josh Downs, where he had to get it there over the cornerback as the free safety was coming and crashing in on Downs, and he got it to him. And Downs made a great adjustment to it, but still, it was a great throw. Like he had NFL throws out there today, even though, again, it was a bad defense. I'm thrilled because it could have been a much different story where all of a sudden he only threw for like 200 yards and two touchdowns and maybe a couple interceptions. You're like, that's not what we wanted to see against opponent you should beat up on. And he did exactly that. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. We need to note Josh Downs is a very good football player. I mean, we don't talk about him because everyone knows that, but every time I, I mean, I have him ranked very highly and I'm like, I need to move him up. He's just a complete player. Um, reminds me very much of Elijah Moore in, in his versatility. Can play that slot role, but can beat you deep, can beat you on the short stuff. I mean, we saw him. Um, he was upset with Drake May for throwing a pass off target that would have been a touchdown on a switch route near the end, near the, uh, uh, near the end zone, the goal line, and he had to go down to get it. And so he was down when he caught it. Um, let's move. Everyone wanted to know what uh, Western Kentucky was going to look like. We were, people were drafting Jared Dogie, Austin Reed ends up getting the start and the offense doesn't really look exactly the same. Um, Matthew, how do you feel if you have Austin Reed, 280 yards passing, four touchdowns? That's only 25 points. You know, that's not really even QB1 territory. I mean, you, you're going to have quarterbacks that score way over 30 points, 30, 35 points. It, it, are, are we still next week? Week week zero doesn't really count for people in, um, in C2C leagues. Week one does. They take on Hawaii at midnight on the island. Are you starting – Austin Reed next week. I think I am because Hawaii's defense is really, really bad. Uh, we're obviously not getting a chance to watch that game right now, but we did spend a lot of time this morning talking about it on the tailgate, just how bad that defense is. One of the worst against the pass and the rush last year. One of the worst teams in bringing back production. What I will say with Reed and a lot of our CFF guys have been saying this here. Were we chasing a ghost, I believe is the way that Chris Moxley put it, and chasing this production that probably wasn't going to be there, losing a Stearns and Bailey. We got a little bit ahead of our skis on that, I think, especially we were all time take Dogie, take Dogie, and then he doesn't even get the job, and it goes to Austin Reed. So with that being said, I do expect him to still be very productive. They really only have Indiana as and Auburn are the only two teams, I think, that'll make them struggle playing a good defense. So outside that I'm playing it, but I don't think you should expect him to get you 40, 50 points. Like a bit like Bailey Zappi. If he got you 50 points, you were kind of bummed because he was so much better than that kind of thing. Like, I don't think Reed is going to be in that category at all. Honestly, the rest of the season, Brandon Barnabas. I mean, Brandon, I know we're starting Malachi Corley. I know we're starting Daywood Davis. Are you starting Austin Reed next week? I would. Uh, as we've seen, Hawaii is, uh, I mean, I've got to see just a tad bit of it, but they are terrible. Everything's going through Parson right now. I meant, you, you know, we lost our, our our star wide receiver already to injury uh, out of Hawaii that we thought was going to do something with Bowens. So with Bowens out, Hawaii is literally just throwing up prayers at this point. So for me, I'm taking Reed next week. Um, I'm just looking for 60% of what Zappi was able to do. If you can do that, that is solid. I all like, I know people got greedy because Zappi could put up 50 burgers, you know, and stuff like that all the times so or 60 points. I honestly just want a steady 30 points per week, you know, and I think that Reed can do that. We saw a situation where there was uh, rain involved. There was a lot of situation where they were trying to eat up more clock, so they went to the run game. You're not going to see that every single week. And we saw when the sun came out, Reed came out, the wide receivers came to play. We saw the gloriness that is, uh, you know, Malachi Corley. We saw David Davis. We saw a little bit of, uh, you know, the other two as well, just in short times of play and stuff like that. Uh, but they're very much capable of at least – you know, holding three wide receivers. It's just a matter of time uh, situation. I think Reed just has to get out the jitters, calm down a little bit more, and I think he's going to be fine. So for me, I'm just looking for 30 fantasy points a week from Reed, and I think he can get that done most weeks. So, 
That game set to start at midnight Eastern time <laughs> next week. One of the best feelings in Campus to Canton leagues is on the college fantasy side when you start one of these guys that has a late game and you're down when you go to sleep and you wake up and you've you've won the game by virtue of uh of of you know them having one of uh, an explosive game in the middle of the night. Let's move on here to some news that was uh, broke earlier. This afternoon, that's the University of Michigan has uh, decided, or they're calling it a decision, um, that Cade McNamara is going to start week one against Colorado State. However, J.J. McCarthy is going to start uh, week two against Hawaii. We've already talked about how terrible uh, Hawaii's um, uh, defense is, Matthew. Matthew, what do you think about this decision for U of M to – kind of punt the ball and say, all right, we're not declaring a starter at this point. I think Harbaugh is afraid to make a decision, so he wants the players to make it for him, is my honest opinion. I think he wants Cade to go out there and either play, have an issue or do something wrong, and then McCarthy go out there and play really well against Hawaii. I'm like, oh, well, it's going to McCarthy. Look at what he did. Or just have McCarthy be so good against Hawaii that he's like, hey, this is our guy moving forward, which I, I do in a way understand. It's something we talked about. And honestly, with the with the Texas situation, these coaches have to almost in a way coddle these players because they don't want them to transfer out because they don't want to lose that depth. So I honestly think he's just looking for a way out of just naming the starter and hoping that it gets resolved for them. I think at this point it's going to go to McCarthy. I, I thought all offseason that it was going to be McNamara because he was playing in the spring. McCarthy had the injury to his shoulder. But the fact that it's still a battle and they're going to go into the season and give him an actual start, I think, again, Harbaugh is doing everything he can to just make sure McCarthy does something to give him the job would be my guess. Austin, this is a really critical year for Jim Harbaugh. The last time I looked, that 2023 recruiting class was ranked somewhere in the it was ranked 55 at the time. They didn't get Dante Moore, who's there in Detroit. He decides to go to Auburn. Now uh, Jim Harbaugh, who doesn't have a great record with offensive production outside of the running back position, even when you look at developing NFL running backs, he doesn't have a great track record, has virtually no track record of developing NFL quarterbacks. And now he's playing hot potato with J.J. McCarthy and, and Cade Mac McNamara. I feel like Harbaugh has a lot riding on J.J. McCarthy being the starter for this team because you have, he's a five-star kid, IMG kid. You need McCarthy to show that, yeah, offense can be played here at Michigan. You can be developed here at Michigan. You can have an NFL future at the skill position players, at, at the skill positions if you come to Ann Arbor. Yeah, I mean, so you just talking, you know, a few weeks ago or a month ago or whatever, um, uh, Michigan was was 55th or 28th now. Like, it hasn't gotten much better. And as far as I remember, they're not really leading on a lot of any other big names. Like, there aren't – like, Bama is never, like, a top five team at this stage in the – whatever, but they, they're leading on all these guys. And then by the time, like, November hits, uh, Bama is number one. Like, that, that's just how they do it there every year. Uh, Michigan does not have that luxury. So we'll see what happens there with them. I'm just curious at what point we stop saying that Harbaugh is a QB guy. Like I, he, he had Andrew luck. Was that luck? Like what else has he done? We want to, we want to give him credit for, um, uh, for um, uh, what's his name? Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Kaepernick. I, 
was he ever a great NFL quarterback? He he tailored the offense around his skill set. I'm not sure he was ever, you know, a, a really, really, you know, franchise type guy there. So I, I don't, I, I, I just don't know what he's doing. I don't think he knows how to develop these guys. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what McCarthy looks like. If he looks clueless again, because last year they just brought him in and said like, go crazy, like do whatever you want. Like the play is going to break down. Like all of his big plays last year were way out of structure. I'm interested to see if he, if he, thing going according to plan and he has a spark plug but i mean that only works so far when you're going up against some of these these you know the ohio states of the world uh barnabas uh you are you one of the schools that you've gone to is a big 10 school uh there at maryland um you know are, are you at michigan they they were in the playoff last year they beat ohio state do they are you scared of them offensively? Are you scared of them with either McCarthy or uh, McNamara at the helm? Um, I don't know if scared's the right word. I respect that offense, uh, you know, that two-headed backfield and everything. But uh, in, in terms of comparing those quarterbacks, you know, obviously I think that teams are more concerned about J.J. McCarthy's tools, but definitely Cade McNamara sets a higher floor that allows that offense to produce at a more consistent level. And so uh, – I don't know if scared's the right word, but um, there there are different factors to either of those quarterbacks. And so, you know, the Big Ten, I think it, the East is largely a two, maybe three horse race. And uh, I think McNamara is good enough to keep them in that race. All right, let's move on here to another quarterback being named the starter, and that is Haynes King at Texas A&M. Texas A&M, of course, just uh, having that number one class and in, in, uh, recruiting class coming in this season. This is a team with expectations. Under Jimbo Fisher, they've had expectations, but they haven't had the guy at quarterback since Johnny Manziel. Um, Brandon, let me toss this to you. Haynes King, do you see him developing? Uh, can he be a player that that lifts this team? Can we win? Can Texas A&M? Can the Aggies? win games because of Haynes King's play. Do you see that? I think Haynes King is serviceable. I think he's a good uh, – he can get the ball moving down the field. Honestly, I just need him to throw to Evan Stewart as much as possible. That's where I'm coming from from a CFF perspective. Uh, you know, there's some good good prospects on that team, and there's a lot of five-stars and four-star kids that are very capable of, and I think Haynes King can at least get it to the people that he needs to. I was hoping for the uh, the freshman to win out at the quarterback position, but I know that was a long shot. Uh, but we might see him here fairly shortly if Haynes King, you know, we have some talented quarterbacks in that room. The leash might be a lot shorter than is, uh, you know, that we think. But I think Haynes King is very much serviceable. Uh, nothing to write home to your mom about, but I think he can get the job done and get it to the, the people that he needs to get to. And they got the talent around him where he's not relied on as much because the talent around him can can get it done for him. So I think he's he can he can make it happen. I, is any are any of us here high on Haynes King as a prospect? I don't think so. I mean, he he was in QB one, I believe. He was in QB one, I believe. You know, lands there at Texas A and M, but I don't know that he's a player that you you want to necessarily need to have rostered. That we think that he's an NFL quarterback or that he's useful in CFF. So he's definitely on the Stetson Bennett spectrum of player. All right, um, gentlemen. Appreciate you all joining us for 
headlines. We're going to move on to our next segment here. Every week on College Fantasy Tonight, we're going to be checking in with Campus Ken Creative Lead and Western Kentucky alum Hannah Page for an update on the players in action from the G5 schools. It's a segment we call the G5 Minute. Here is what you can expect. Hey everyone, this is Hannah Page with the G5 Minute. Each week I'll bring you highlights specifically from the group of five, as well as major G5 producers for the day. Week zero is going to be a little different since we've yet to see a game. So today I'm going to talk about some storylines, games, and players you should be tracking ahead of the season. I'll be a homer and start off with Western Kentucky's newly appointed QB1. That's Division II West Florida transfer quarterback Austin Reed, who won the starting job over West Virginia transfer Jarrett Dagey, who is now with Troy. If you had Bailey Zappi last season, you know the Hilltoppers air raid principled offense yields playmakers with major CFF relevancy. Will Reed produce Zappi numbers? Not likely but he doesn't have to chase records to maintain that relevancy. But in the words of Justin Bieber, never say never, though. There's a lot to like about him. He's a high-volume passer, he's mobile, and he has an NFL arm. And as an added bonus, he's got a solid group of receivers at his disposal, so he won't be fighting to find playmakers and explosive threats. On August 23rd, Marshall head coach Charles Huff released a statement that All-American running back Rasheen Ali will be away from the team for some time. This leave of absence obviously leaves a huge hole, so next man up will likely be transfer Kalen Laburn, a five-star prospect in the 2017 class and committed to Florida State, where he was with the Seminoles for the 2017, 18, and 19 seasons. He rushed 63 times for 297 yards and four touchdowns in 2019. And after being dismissed from the program, he transferred to Garden City Community College before joining the Thundering Herd. So he'll get his feet wet against Norfolk State on the third, but then face Notre Dame the following week. He'll have to step up and he'll have to step up quickly. If you know, love, and draft players in the air raid, then you know which coaches and teams have a proclivity for the system. That's Texas Tech, Mississippi State, Washington State, Western Kentucky, and Nevada, just to name a handful. But with head coach Jay Norvell and offensive coordinator Matt Mummy moving from Nevada to Colorado State, it is time to pay attention to the Rams. Quarterback Clay Millen followed the staff from Nevada to Colorado State, and the redshirt freshmen spent the 2021 season behind and learning from Carson Strong and Nate Cox, and ultimately has been named the starter for the Rams. He was a four-star recruit out of high school by 24-7 sports and a three-star by rivals. In the spring game, he completed 22 of 33 passes for 292 yards with four touchdowns and one interception. He's young, but he can sling it. The Utah State Aggies return Logan Bonner, but lose their top three receivers from 2021. Next up would be Justin McGriff, who stands at a whopping six foot six, 220 pounds, and had 35 receptions for 414 yards and six touchdowns last season. They add Maryland transfer Brian Cobbs and Alabama transfer Xavier Williams. But I think the story here is Nine Eye Davis. 
He had some team bests during a fall scrimmage, and in Utah State's first depth chart of the year, Davis was listed as an or in the slot. Next up is my game of the week, which is North Texas at UTEP. I believe it's called the Battle of I-10. North Texas is currently favored by just one point, and I believe the game is almost sold out. So this is a big game. It's a conference game. Two teams that could end up being pretty good in the conference. What's not to love? Time's up. See you in a G5 minute. All right. Thank you, Hannah. So you can expect Hannah to join us every single week with the G5 Minute, breaking down the action from around the group of five that particular day. Another segment that we're going to be doing weekly is checking in on the 2023 running back class. Um, Barnabas Lee, a very smart gentleman. Barnabas, you got to give us your Twitter handle so we can know where to follow you on Twitter. We want to talk about the 2023 draft class. Um, Barnabas, who are some players that you are paying specific attention to this season that can improve or change their stock for the 2023 draft? Sure. Uh, yeah, you can find all my content at uh, PKJB Lee on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, rather than players, I think position groups make makes more sense to me because I think this is a, an interesting class in which we see groups of players that uh, maybe uh, might break the mold of what NFL teams are expecting coming out of prospects. Uh, for example, uh, this OT, this offensive tackle class and offensive line class in general is kind of weak, uh, cons- considered kind of weak and uh, not as uh, deep as previous years. Um, and Skaronsky made a big statement today because, uh, you know, we, we, we thought he was a mover. We knew he was a smooth operator, but he showed a real nasty streak against arguably draftable uh, edges from Nebraska. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this offensive tackle class shakes out. I think Skaronsky had that first mover advantage and he definitely made a statement with that today. Uh, the other, other Peter Skaronsky the- being the left tackle at Northwestern. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Peter Skaronsky, um, Northwestern made a huge statement today. Um, the other, the other group I'm looking at is the tight end class. Uh, earlier this week, Chris Moxley said that the tight end group, uh, the four of them at Georgia this year, might be the best tight end group in NCAA history. Um, I don't know if I would go quite that far, but the NFL evaluation process looks a little bit different now because we see that these all four of them are crazy athletic freaks. They are absolutely going to kill it in Indianapolis. And teams are just going to see that the, these guys walk in the room and immediately fall in love with them. The difference is there are only so many touches to go around in Georgia, let alone the fact that, you know, we're not convinced that they are the productive type, at least in college, without some added development. And so it'll be interesting to see how NFL teams will weigh uh, things like uh, production versus the athletic measurements. You know, we, we know the Seattle Seahawks ha- in the past have always gone with their spark scores and such. Uh, but, you know, 6'9", Darnell Washington, 6'4", I believe, Eric Gilbert. You know, these gigantic human beings are going to walk in the room. And how are these teams going to look them in the face and say, okay, but you didn't put enough put up enough numbers for us. And so it'll be interesting to see which teams uh, fall in love with them and which teams uh, kind of stay away. And Darnell Washington and Eric Gilbert, both of whom are eligible for the 2023 draft. So Bowers, Oscar Delp, um, they're going to be following in in subsequent years. Uh, Give me someone who's going to see their stock rise over the course of this season. Who's getting a lot of hype now, but and then on the other side, who's getting a lot of hype now, but maybe drafted a little bit lower. 
Sure. Uh, so I I like watching defense. So I'm going to give you two defensive players that are that are really going to see their stock rise over the course of this season. So number one is Brandon Joseph. He's a N- Northwestern transfer. Now he plays for Notre Dame. He plays safety for them, and he probably pro- fits the prototypical size uh, profile for them. And what we're hoping to see, he he was draft eligible last year as a redshirt sophomore. Um, he transferred instead and is uh, working with that Notre Dame staff to to highlight the his uh his processing and his uh his tackling ability he fits that athletic profile that you would want out of a free safety he has yet to show that he can play single high by himself but he's played plenty of uh two high safety looks and so uh it's going to be interesting to see whether he can show off one his physicality because while he has ideal size he is a little bit of a heat seeking hair on fire missile type kind of similar to Nick Cross in that he just sells out for these tackles and often misses that misses because of that uh but uh evaluators will fall in love with the fact that he he might have the best ball skills in this class along with uh, fairly ideal measurements. And so that's, that's one guy. I think that right now he's rated uh, it, it, within the top 10 safeties probably, but I think he's going to be within that top five by the end of the season, considering currently a lot of, a lot of safeties that are at the top of the board are some of these bigger safeties that are, you know, Jack of all trades. And while those have places, not that many teams actually use that role. And so I believe Brandon Joseph will see a rise in his draft stock. The other one is DeMarvian Overshone, another similar uh aspect is that he, you know he's he is that athletic freak he's he's perfect in terms of uh measurements he's going to run fast he he once he sees where that ball is going uh he can get there the problem is when he sees that ball where that ball is going you know his play pro- play recognition is a little is a touch slow and that's why he's stayed in college uh thus far um but you know, the you know we're we're fantasy players barnabas so we don't know exactly where demarion orbishon plays he is a linebacker at texas oh. i just i just looked it up so um we're we're not going to get mad at you for talking about defensive players but now we have somebody to pay attention to on the other side of the Sure. Absolutely. I apologize. Yeah. Uh, linebacker from Texas, uh, big measurements is going to test well, but, uh, he needs to put on tape that he has the, he has the things above the shoulders to, uh, really get in there. Um, on the other side of the ball, maybe more relevant for you fantasy players, uh, are two players that are getting a lot of hype that I think we need to temper our expectations for. Uh, one is, qu- uh, quarterback from Stanford, Tanner McKee. Uh, he's nice and tall. Uh, but has all the problems with being a tall quarterback. Um, he he has the sufficient arm power to get it to all parts of the field. But the fact of the, the the real question I have is, can he be anything more than Mike Lennon is in the NFL? In that he's a tall quarterback who has a long long release pattern. And he has yet to show that he can actually win games for his teams. I always fall back to Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks's uh, evaluation of quarterbacks is, is this quarterback a truck or a trailer? Is he pulling his team or is he just being dragged along by the talent a- around him? You know, and that, that similar conversation could be had for like, say, Haynes King as well. Does he need to be a truck or can he just be a trailer? Um, the thing with Tanner McKee is he was on a bad Stanford team. They went three and nine last year. So is this the type of quarterback you want on your team uh, where – 
he he's not necessarily winning despite the fact that he has poor talent around him. Look at the way the Cowboys have built their team uh, in that they're, they're just saying, Hey Dak, go out there. You you're a good quarterback. You can just throw it to whoever and you should be able to complete it because you're a good quarterback. Is Tanner McKee that guy? I've seen Tanner McKee rated as high as quarterback number three in this class behind Stroud and young. And I just can't see it. And the, the mechanics need help. Um, and he lacks the athleticism to be a true uh, NFL threat. The other is Blake Corum, the running back from Michigan, who is probably a very good CFF player and most pe- and owned in most leagues for sure. But the problem is that Blake Corum is five foot eight, and so at, at five foot eight, you would expect him to be, you know, this Deuce Vaughn, this uh, this receiving scat back type, Tavon Austin, maybe if you will. Uh, and Darren Sproles, that type is who you expect at the profile five foot eight. And yet you find that while he is capable of receiving passes and he's okay in the screen game, he's not getting open on his own. He's, he's getting all these prescribed touches. Um, and you find that he's actually kind of more of a power back in some ways. And so while as a decisive runner at five foot eight, that just doesn't fly in the NFL. Does he have the ability to be a number one back? I question that ability. I, I question whether any coach is willing to put him out there as running back number one on any team. Um, and even as a uh, complimentary piece, I'm not sure that he has that uh, third down capability where he can p- contribute right away and be a full-time backup in, in which he can take over that backfield if the starter goes down. You know, a player-centric coach would try to highlight um, a weakness of a player before they went into the NFL draft. Uh, and uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see if we get some more receiving production from Blake Corum this season. But quite frankly, I think that he could play this season and come back next season for his senior year. All right, Barnabas, Absolutely. we will check in with you um, every week to see how the 2023 NFL draft is shaken out. Sounds good. Thanks Let's so bring the rest of the group back we always talk about value. Whose value changed uh, the most in campus to camp formats? And I originally thought earlier in the day that you know we wouldn't have very much changes, but there were some standout performances. And I want to talk about Doug Brumfeld, the quarterback from UNLV, um, third-year player, long left-handed, six-foot-five. Uh, player pocket player but he made some impressive impressive throws today in this game albeit versus idaho state but still you know some opposite hash throws a few tight window throws throws for five touchdowns austin i mean i'm at least going to be paying attention to see if he can do this consistently throughout the season i mean it's foolish to say you know no I don't care about him at all after what he did today, but he's completed under 50% of his passes the past couple of years. And it's pretty, I, I know you mentioned, you know, Idaho state, the opponent wasn't top tier. Uh, it's difficult to kind of explain fully how bad Idaho state is. If you go look at how they performed last season, they regularly lost by 30, 40, 50 points to not particularly good teams. Um, so while I want to say that it's intriguing and they gave him a, a few more weapons this year, I, well, I'm sure we'll talk about Ricky White here in a minute. The wide receiver transferred in from Michigan State there, um, uh, who had himself a day, was a, a major beneficiary there. I like if you have, I, I'm not running to a waiver wire in a league to pick him up. And I think if somebody else in your league is willing to do that and go drop a decent portion of their, their yearly allotment on it, you're going to go ahead and let them do that all day. I, I mean, I just said that we should 
just watch him. That's that's all I said. Okay. I don't want um, people to get the, the the feeling that because we're talking about a player, that means that they should be actively doing something about this player. It's fine to absolutely. just let let things play out a little bit, and this is the kind of guy where you let that happen. Not a pickup, folks. Someone you should watch. Someone you may want to consider picking up uh, that you alluded to, Brandon. Can I throw? Can I throw Ricky White to you? The Michigan State transfer to UNLV. He looked very productive. He looked very explosive today um, against a bad Idaho State team. Yeah, you could tell he was he was hanging around Jaden Reed for a while there at Michigan State with the with the way that Ricky White was playing. I was actually more on Williams as the wide receiver. You know, going into like putting names in DraftKings and putting names into you know FanDuel things like that when we were putting some some you know uh contests together and things like that however ricky white showed the pedigree of what he's capable of doing by taking a step back and going to a team that you know will feature him a lot more and having like i said brumfield is a watch list guy uh i think he's you know it depends on the competition that he'll play but it looks like if he's going against competition that's a little bit easier you're going to see ricky white ball out if uh gets a little harder i still think it's going to kind of go williams way uh, as far as more the possession guy but ricky white is very very explosive so if you got him in DraftKings today guys you gotta you got a gym uh ricky white's someone i would look at on waivers i think uh you know, that can kind of continue, especially with receptions. Uh, PPR is king for a lot of this that we're talking about when we look at our league. So if you are in a full PPR or even a half-point PPR, he's definitely someone that I would definitely take a look at for sure. So Ricky White uh, definitely, uh, you know, getting his name back out there. And, and it was uh, super exciting to see. I was I was very stoked. And and Kyle Williams there at UNLV was the, fresh, the Mountain West freshman of the year. 2020, I believe. So um, a very productive player in his own right. I mean, UNLV has been bad, but they've got at least two good players out on the perimeter and a a quarterback who has a adequate NFL arm to make all of the throws, at least at the collegiate level. So, all right. Um, who else here? Anybody else that we need to talk about as far as there? We, we talked about Chase Brown earlier on. Anyone else that we need to talk about is who's increased their value, at least in week zero? Uh, I would take a look at Aiden Robbins, also from UNLV, the running back. I think he did very, very well. Uh, he's got the, the the power. You know, he's over 200 pounds, got a good build. Uh, it looks like he's very competent, makes good decisions, good cuts. Um, so I think he could be very effective, especially on games where they're going to be playing closer to a lot of the teams in their competition. So I think Robbins might be more the featured guy going forward. He was a great play as well for DFS Force this week. So I would definitely look at Robbins as someone to take a take a look at and to circle with your pin as a guy to pick up possibly. All right. There we go. Um, one more segment before we get out of here. Brandon, Barnabas, Matthew. We appreciate you joining us this week, and we will catch you, gentlemen, again uh, next week after after the real start to the season, week zero. Austin, um, we got some good good games next week. We got Oregon and Georgia to start off. Uh, I mean, I'm really interested to see how that Georgia field takes out. It's RBU. You got no uh, Andrew Paul, Kenny McIntosh. What he what is he going to look like? Kendall Milton. And then, you know, do, do we see one of these tight ends have a, a breakout game? So Oregon-Georgia is probably the premier game on the slate. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, it, it definitely has to be. Um, there's there's players on each team that we're kind of going to be monitoring, too. Like I think it's, you know, there's 
there's uh, you know storyline like national championship implications and there's a, neither hurt there yeah let's go here to troy old miss i think what we're really looking for in that game is who is going to be the starting quarterback? Is it going to be Jackson Dart? Is it going to be Luke Altmyer? As far as I've seen, they have not yet named uh, a starting quarterback. But then you also got um, the running backs there at Old Miss. They bring in Zach Evans. They bring in Ulysses Bentley. And then there's the freshman who everyone is saying is looking excellent in Quinshawn Judkins. Old Miss under Lane Kiffin. That's a very exciting team. And we, we are going to be uh, watching how these pieces take shape over the course of the season, starting with Troy. I'm also very interested. Is Jarrett Dogie make Western Kentucky pay for letting him go? We get to see him on Troy next week. So, you know, that big, big storyline there, all seriousness. Uh, the, the thing I'm actually looking forward to most from Ole Miss is what the target distribution looks like. I think Michael Triga is a really intriguing guy for fantasy, for Debbie, for C2C, for whatever format you're playing at the tight end position. We've talked a lot about this offseason about here how he could be the the tight end one potentially this year for all of college fantasy. I want to see if he's actually going to get that kind of target share. Look like he would through the spring. We'll see if it carries over to real game time, regardless of who the quarterback is. Pretty sure it's going to be Dart, but you know it, it's not decided officially yet. And just going back to the Troy side here, I mean, I'd be remiss not to mention Chris Moxley's boy, uh, Tez Johnson, a smaller receiver in a 2-2 Atwell-type frame who was a speedster. And very. I think Troy, uh, Tez Johnson made Bruce Feldman's freak list, if I remember correctly. Um, so pay attention to Troy. Pay attention to Tez Johnson. Rice at USC next week. Caleb Williams makes his debut. Lincoln Riley makes his deb debut. We're going to get to see Jordan Addison. We're going to see, get to see the second year of Mario Williams. It's going to be a fun game out there on the West Coast. Say it with me, folks. Target distribution. That's what we care about early in the season here. Behind Jordan Addison, is Mario Williams like almost equal to him? Is he closer to the third guy? Who is the third guy? Is it Gary Bryant? Is it uh, Brendan Rice? Jerry Rice's son who transferred him from Colorado. Is it Taj Washington. I mean, there, there's a, a laundry list of guys there. C.J. Williams, a true freshman there. I, I'm really just interested to see how behind Jordan Addison this offense looks because we know they're going to throw it a ton. We, we know they have to if they want to, you know, maybe not against Rice, but later in the year they're going to have to throw it a lot. Let's go down. Utah at Florida. Is Anthony Richardson going to have to throw it a lot? Uh, does he start his Heisman campaign against with an upset over a top 10 Utah team? We I said uh, Oregon and Georgia was a game that I'm looking forward to. But remember, Georgia started last season against Clemson. I mean, that game was super boring, super boring game. This is one that I am looking forward to um, because you got two quarterbacks who can put it on the ground and run this might be exciting if Anthony Richardson Barnabas talked about are you a, a truck or a trailer well Anthony Richardson's going to be at, have to be a truck to drag this team to uh, to a victory against a very good Utah team I don't know how it's physically possible but I think he has to be the truck and the trailer like his leading receiver is supposed to be Ricky Pearsall he's apparently not playing like I don't know what he's going to throw to. I don't know what they're going, what it's going to look like in the backfield with him. I don't know how good the defense is going to be. Like he, he really might have to just kind of do everything. Like for Florida to win this game, four hundred plus all-purpose yards from him, like five hundred. Like it, it, it's going to have to be a 
you know, uh, Lamar Jackson Heisman winning season type stat line, I think, for them to win a lot of these games this year. You know, and I, I in my campus Canton leagues, I have a lot of quarterbacks with tough matchups week one. And Anthony Rich, I have Anthony Richardson rostered a lot of places. I don't necessarily want to start him against Utah, but I may have to and just hope that he is the the entire offense. You you um, look like an you look like an idiot though if you don't start him and he goes for that. Like it's it, it it hurts both ways. It does. Uh, Utah State who played today at Alabama. We get our first lick, look at Jameer Gibbs in uh, in Crimson. Yeah, um, him and Jermaine Burton both coming over from schools there in Georgia. I'm interested to see their roles. Is Gibbs the guy? Do they have somebody else rotating with him? Uh, how often does he play receiver? Do they, you know, do, do they do they give him a lot of work there? And then for Burton, you know, we've seen him be pretty productive on very low volume. Can he earn more volume there? And can he be efficient with it? I think those are two really big questions. And then obviously behind those two guys, you know. Ja'Cory Brooks, the second-year wide receiver guy. Is he a guy that steps up there? Who's in the slot? Um, is there another? Tyler Harrell, the transfer wide receiver in from Louisville. What does his role look like? I mean, I think there, we, we feel good about Bryce Young, and we feel good about one or two of these other pieces, but is there anything beyond them? Because I think Alabama showed last year, if there's nothing beyond them, it's tough to win a national championship. I mean, when, when Jamison and those guys went down, they, they struggled. Yeah, they did, and, you know, that wide receiver core, um, there's really no established. Jermaine Burton has reportedly has been the most consistent throughout camp, but there is not, including him, there's not really an established guy. We had, we've had Devonta Smith there. We've had Henry Ruggs. We've had Jalen Waddle. I mean, there isn't a, an established guy there this year, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the skill positions there is, shake out. Even John- out on the perimeter. Even John Mechie last year was Even established there. You know, he wasn't a, yeah. a star, but he was a guy that had been there a couple of years and we knew what to expect out of him. I don't think we know what to expect out of any of these guys there for 2020. And do we see one of the freshman receivers uh, get a role? Yeah. Let's move on here to uh, UL Monroe at Texas. I mean, we finally, we've been waiting. We finally get to see if you and Matt's boy, the golden mullet himself, Quint Ewers, is, is he all – that he's cracked up to me. You don't have uh, Isaiah Nayor there, but you still got Jatavian Sanders. You got Bijan Robinson. You got Xavier Worthy. They've got more than enough to beat a U of L Monroe team that should be overmatched. You know, Matt talked about it earlier when we were talking Drake May through headlines. And, you know, we said, we got to remember who the opponent was. And Matt said, well, wouldn't the story have been a little bit different if he hadn't played like that against uh, that Florida a and I think it's the same discussion about Quinn Ewers. You know, he has to be efficient. He has to put up some decent numbers. That offense has to score 30-plus points, I think, at, at minimum. Or, or I think, you know, you're going to start hearing the chirps about, uh, you know, is is he the guy there long-term? Do they put in Hudson Card? I mean, the worst thing for Texas this year is that they have some sort of prolonged quarterback controversy. We saw it haunt them last year. They, they never really found the guy. They really need to find the guy for their sake for the season, for Sark's sake long-term. Arch, if they're bad, does Arch Manning still want to go there? He's recruited all these guys. Do we see, like, you know, th- there's a lot hanging on them finding their quarterback, hopefully Quinn Ewers sticking with him and having a decent season because of it. Well, we will be back next week after week one to recap everything right here on Backyard College Brawl. Fantasy. We're not going to talk Backyard Brawl at all, one of the best oh. one of the best rivalries in college football. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to give me an opportunity it. to like, talk oh, about anything on. I wanted at the end. 
Pitt, West Virginia. I haven't played since 2011. It's one of the best rivalries in, in all of college football. Uh, one of the longest standing ones. West Virginia comes to Pittsburgh. It's going to be. It's a battle of two former USC quarterbacks playing. JT Daniels and Kadon Slovis playing against each other. Who would have predicted this three years ago? Nobody. Nobody. It's going to be a great game. It's on Thursday night. Everybody, tune in. Watch it. Sorry. We will watch it. We will watch everything in week one. Uh, week one, and we will be here to recap it all on, for you on College Fantasy tonight. Make sure you tune in to the tailgate at 10 a.m. Uh, next Saturday morning. It looks like the campus to Canton player of the week for week zero is going to be Chase Brown. Don't quote me on on that, but that's what it, who it looks like it's going to be. All right. Good night, America. <laughs>